and welcome to mini episode 62 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? Before we start this week's stories, I just want to let you know that the last story from today is from the 31st of May 2020. And I would also like to say that last night, for the first time since I've lived in Canterbury, I heard a vixen crying in the night. They're coming for us after we did that episode. Yeah, definitely. If only you could see how aggressively passionate she was when she was telling you that, you would have uh, realised how significant that story is. So Jake from Super Superstitious texted me after that episode and he said, what if it's not, like, what if they're not heralding death? What if they're picking off Viscounts one, one by one? And then last night when I woke up and heard the fox, I was like, oh God, they're coming for me. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the fact that our neighbour next door feeds the foxes or anything. So I've got three spooky stories for you today. Are you ready? No, probably not. And story number one comes from Courtney. My mom, brother and myself lived at my grandmother's house for about the first eight years of my life in a small town in Utah. Several aunts and uncles and cousins lived in the house sporadically through the years as well. This was my dad's side of the family. And even though there were good times, there was a darkness in the house because crazy seems to run rampant through my dad's side. I think this darkness was in the house because of how negative the people living in it could be. I generally have a difficult time falling asleep, and especially so when I was younger. I would stay up for hours after bedtime, tossing and turning in my bed. The dark frightened me a lot back then, so I would try not to move too much or get out of bed for anything. When I was about seven years old, a childhood friend of mine was staying the night, and we were sleeping on the floor of my aunt's bedroom. My aunt was our babysitter growing up, so she was like a second mother to us both. My friend and I were sleeping feet to feet, with my head near the closed bedroom door. As I was tossing around in the dark trying to fall asleep, I was turning from my side to my back, when from under the blanket I could see a white glow over my torso. The room was completely dark and quiet besides this glow. Obviously I was scared out of my mind seeing this, as there didn't seem to be a logical explanation for it. I pulled the blankets over my head thinking about what I just saw. I took another peek to see if it was still there, if it was my imagination. And it was definitely still there. It was a floating vest. Like a man's suit vest. And it looked like it was being worn but I couldn't see the person wearing it. It was just floating in the air above me, facing the wall behind me. I pulled the blankets over my head and began silently crying. I didn't know what to do or what was going on or why. I decided I couldn't just lay there all night, scared under the blankets. I made up my mind that I would throw the blankets back, close my eyes tight, sit up and scream as loudly as I could. I counted to three and sat up screaming. My aunt turned the light on to comfort me as I was sobbing. I still don't know what the hell that was. Or if it was a negative energy or positive or what. I was wide awake when I saw this. So I know I can't write it off as being a dream or even just being tired. Nothing else like that happened to me in that house again. Well, Courtney, that was the strangest thing. I remember hearing anybody ever seeing a floating vest. And it's absolutely terrifying at the same time. 
Do you remember Carmen's story from like literally two years ago? Yes. Of the three dresses? Yes. And she saw the three, the silhouette of, not even the silhouette, but she saw what looked like three dresses floating in a field. What is with these random assortments of clothing? This is wild. They're not like super widespread based off of the data that I analyse for this show. <laughs> Dan, he's a spreadsheet of the, the nature of each story. <laughs> uh, they're not very widespread, but they're just so bizarre. Like a floating vest. Like, is Are the clothes haunted or are they just only able to muster enough spiritual energy to manifest the vest? in terms of detail like it's a bizarre thing right but surely you'd think that if you were only able to manifest something you'd manifest one of your own body parts not an external item of clothing in my head every ghost would be nude then if that was the case <laughs> but if you think if yeah, that's that's logical from the perspective of a human that has never had to manifest themselves but if it's the first time this being has had to manifest itself maybe it's trying to manifest all of it but then realized that it couldn't and just happened the only thing it had left was the vest and the even stranger thing is that it only happened once like there was no other kind of like incidences in the house it wasn't the beginning of something it wasn't like the the climax of something it was just waking up and seeing a floating vest like i don't i really don't know what to say about it i do feel like also courtney had the best plan for dealing with it as well as in shutting your eyes keeping your head under the duvet and screaming as loud as you possibly can amazing you know what i'm gonna do every time i wake up now don't you <laughs> that's gonna be my defense mechanism well, i'll wake up to that fox again and you'll just be screaming <laughs> under the duvet <laughs> but it's just I, I really i honestly don't know what to say about it it's so baffling and in courtney's email she said when i heard the story of the three dresses i just had to send this in because it's it's the they're literally the only two stories we've ever had that are similar in that regard i just thought i don't know what to say about it it's very easy for me to sit here and logically be baffled by it but i think in the moment even as baffling as it is i'd be absolutely terrified well yeah because it's so weird it's so weird you know we hear stories where people wake up and they see somebody sitting at the end of their bed and their brain your brain will automatically tell you oh that must be my mom or my dad or you know somebody you wake up and you see a floating vest. Your brain is going, I got, I'm sorry. <laughs> Out of ideas there. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to be re-frightened here because I've got nothing. <laughs> and story number two comes from Amy. Guess who's back? It's Doug. It turns out he must have an annual mega bus pass at this point. Either that or a coastal timeshare. Because about two days ago, I saw him again. My partner and I live in a one-bedroomed flat at the moment. It's basically two rooms, a bedroom and a living room kitchen with a bathroom by the kitchen. It's all on one level and just a big rectangle, really. So no matter where you are in the flat, you can hold a conversation with someone at the other end and hear everything that's going on. The bathroom door lies between the area that turns from the living room into the kitchen, and our sofa sits opposite. The other morning, my partner left for work early. He showered and dressed. We were talking, we had a cup of tea, normal stuff. He kissed me goodbye and I watched him go out the door and go outside until his footsteps faded down the road. He had gone, so I cleaned up the breakfast dishes and went into the bathroom, closed the door and had a shower. Still normal. I usually do all my hair and makeup in the bathroom because it's lighter and the mirror is closer and I can't see for toffee 
and I'm too tight to waste contact lenses on non-special occasions. Anyway, I had the door shut as I normally do so the cat doesn't come in and try to get in the shower with me, and set unbound fake tanning my legs. Halfway through, I hear someone sit down on the sofa outside. I call out, Hello? My partner's voice answered, Hi, beautiful. I said you weren't long. And he replied that no, but he has to go back in a bit to see someone then. I joked it wasn't worth coming all the way back as we live about a 15-minute walk from his work. The conversation carried on and we talked about maybe having a picnic in the garden when he'd finished for the day and going for a walk later. Normal things. I could hear him shifting his weight on the leather sofa. Heard the weird guttural noises he usually makes when he's scrolling on his phone. Even the noises of his weird breathing when he concentrates. Normal. The only thing that was a little weird? He was very responsive. As usually it takes him three to five working days to reply to me. But this was straight away. I just thought maybe he was in a particularly good mood. After about ten minutes he went quieter. Still breathing and all that jazz though. I'd finished tanning my legs. And the rest of my body. So went to turn and opened the door to go and say hi properly. I turned around and Doug was stood in front of the door like a soldier guarding it. I panicked as I was naked as a jaybird and it felt weird so I grabbed a towel to cover me without going near the door. Before I could react to Doug I heard my partner get up, shout that he was off now and leave. I thought it was weird that he didn't say goodbye or at least pop his head in but concluded maybe he was running later than he realised or work had message saying his patient was in. Doug wouldn't move. For what must have been five whole minutes, I stood awkwardly trying to cover my thighs with a hand towel while he stood there doing nothing. Then, like a bit of sunlight that starts to fade, he just faded away. And like that, he was gone. Apart from feeling like I'd flashed an elderly neighbour, I just shook it off, went into the living room. It was as I'd left it. There was a weird smell like burnt toast in the air, but that's it. I just thought maybe upstairs had burnt toast. I went to the bedroom, got dressed, dried my hair, and about an hour later my partner came home again. We chatted. I asked how his morning was, did all go okay, and he said it was perfectly fine and normal. Then I jokingly said... It would have been easier if he'd stayed at work all morning rather than coming home in between for the little time he was there. He looked puzzled. What do you mean? he asked. I explained that he had come home while I was in the bathroom and then gone back again, that we'd had a conversation. No, I didn't, was his answer. I insisted that he did, said about the picnic and the walk, but he had no idea what I was on about. Amy, I never left work, he said. I said that he was lying, messing with me, but he was deadly serious. He even called his boss and asked if he had left work for an interval that morning. He put the phone on loudspeaker and his boss said he hadn't. They'd been working together all morning and he had not come back to the flat. The door had been locked when he did come in and I hadn't actually seen him in the flat that time. But I know, 
with every fibre of my being that I did not imagine it. It happened. I wasn't asleep. I wasn't sleep deprived. I was completely sober. There was no sunstroke, nothing. I know I had talked to what I thought was my partner. But he hadn't been there. He didn't come home. And Doug, for some reason, did not want me to open that door. He did not want me to leave the bathroom while my partner was outside. But it wasn't my partner. I believe him. And I know what happened to me was real. We've had weird things since. Cups going missing from plain sight and reappearing in the bathroom. The cat hissing and screaming at air. Nightmares about a black shadow sitting on top of the wardrobe. But nothing like the mimicking since. We've called him Alejandro. I say him, but whatever it is, it could be anything. But it must have been what was in our living room because it wasn't my other half. And Doug, sure as hell, didn't want me going anywhere near it. No, no, what I, mm, what was that? Like, what was that? I don't, I don't understand. We're not just talking about, like, if it was an intruder, yes, you, the intruder could potentially put on a version of the partner's voice but I'm not sure how convincing it would be, but it's the fact that whatever it was, was mimicking like the breathing and the noises. That's why I smiled at you when you were reading it, because I know that I make certain noises when I'm playing FIFA, which really winds you up, but you'd know it was me if you came. Yeah, and all, I think everybody does. Everybody has like idiosyncrasies that they don't even realise that they're doing, right? Like little noises or like, I don't know, just random things that you do that maybe only the, your partner would know about because they spend so much time with you. I almost, it's almost weird that I was relieved when Doug showed up. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely doing his protection job because I have to admit, and this is probably says something about my psyche, but I have to admit that when, when Amy started her story and said that Doug was back, I was like, oh, is this getting a bit stalkery now? Like, Doug just keep rocking up and... But actually, no, it's not. It's Doug doing what he did in the first place and he's looking out for her. It's that caring aspect again, isn't it? I mean, can you get a restraining order from a ghost? Like, that's the real question here. <laughs> if we ever get a poltergeist, we'll just be like, do you know what? I'm going down to the station. I'm getting a restraining order. And maybe they do respect the law <laughs> in the afterlife. Who knows? But I don't feel like Amy needs one with Doug. I feel like Doug is there for a reason, obviously. But I was just like... Thank goodness he's there. Like, well, the what question, was that? Ooh. That's it. The question remains, right? Because that's it's not the first time we've had a story where a something has mimicked the voice of a loved one. If that's real, and I know that Amy said at the end, you know, I was sober, I was tired, or I wasn't tired, or whatever, any of those things. And I'm sure there's people listening who are going to be like, oh, you know, whatever, that, that definitely didn't happen. But if it did happen, that's the fucking terrifying bit. Like, if that did happen, what is that? what is that it's a sustained level of conversation for me which is terrifying because we've had like there's been lots of instances where they've like mimicked a voice for like a sentence or a phrase or called out to them or something like that but it was a sustained upheld conversation with relevant detail as well like it was a little bit off but it wasn't like dropping mistakes left right and center it's terrifying do you know who we need to get as a guest on the podcast doug that's what we need (laughs) So, Amy, if you could ask Doug, we can set him up on Zoom. We can, we can even send him a good microphone if he needs it. And we'll have an interview with Doug and find out what the heck is going on in the afterlife. Because that's what we all need to know. Okay? And we also got another story from Amy. Just to let listeners know that this next story covers infant death. A month ago, I experienced one of the hardest days of my life. 
My brother and his wife have been trying for a baby for years but to no avail. And last summer they made the decision to undertake IVF. In the autumn, we were thrilled with the announcement that their little girl would be born this June. Never a happier couple would you see. They adored their baby girl before she was born. She had everything in the world and they literally glowed with love. As the months passed and January came, things started to go wrong. There were several complications, with mother and baby, and the little princess was delivered almost two months early. She was sick, so sick. There had been several scares where things were really bad. After a month, we got the news that she wasn't going to make it. I spent the week waiting for the news, living by my phone day and night. And finally, on the Tuesday, I got the call to travel to the hospital to say goodbye. I was packed and ready to go, as I knew it was coming. The last time I saw her, as soon as I left the room, a unanimous voice in my head told me, That was it. That was the last time. She's not going to make it. I tried to write it off as my anxiety being a titbag. It wasn't, and it was right. I got in the car and started the two and a half hour journey to where my brother lives. Where I live is rural, and the road, although a main road, is a journey of track roads compared to other areas. About half an hour in, travelling the coast road and driving at too fast a pace in panic, trying to listen to the radio to distract me from the time ahead, I had to slam on the emergency brakes, hard. The most beautiful golden dog ran out in front of my car. The road was dead, and it was about two miles away from any houses. He wasn't a farm dog, and obviously a domestic pet that had legged it. I put my hazards on and pulled over, called the police and stayed with the dog until they came to take him home. They later called to say he got home safe and his name was Cantaloupe. I continued my journey after and got a second scare when about 40 minutes later, driving past farming villages, a great horse started galloping alongside my car. He'd escaped from a nearby field and run out into the road. Later on in the journey coming over the mountains I was held up for around 20 minutes as a flock of sheep with their lambs had got lost onto the terrain. I finally arrived at the city, a whole hour later that I should have. I got to the hospital and waited in my car until I got a call about what was happening as I couldn't go in unauthorised. It was a boiling day and I didn't want to run my battery with the aircon so I just opened my passenger side door in the quiet car park. Not two minutes later, a pair of collared doves jumped into my passenger seat, cooing and canoodling. I fed them a granola bar and they went on their merry little way. And then I got the call. Baby girl was gone. They'd taken her off ventilators and life support and she passed away in her mother's arms. I was allowed to go into the hospital in 20 minutes to say goodbye. I was sobbing my heart out and couldn't breathe. I walked towards the entranceway so I could go straight in when it was time and called my partner to tell him. The entrance overlooks a lake surrounded by big trees and a mini park-like effect. I was pacing around one of the paths trying to form the words to tell my partner that it had happened. And in the midst of sobbing and having a panic attack, something landed on my head. It was a squirrel. Bold as brass, 
standing on my head. It made its way down the tree and decided to plonk his butt in my victory rolls and sit on my head like a noble steed. Despite everything, it made me smile and ease my panic attack. I said my goodbyes, took my brother and sister-in-law to their home and we sat in the garden in silence, empty, broken and distraught. As the evening came in, one by one the garden filled with butterflies. And I don't mean one or two, I mean at least thirty. Landing on trees, the seats, the flowers, in the middle of this city centre backyard coming and going. Cabbage butterflies, red admirals and those weird sludgy brown ones. Everywhere, out of nowhere. It was then that my brother told me that the NICU nurses called baby girl Little Butterfly because she would flutter her eyelashes like a butterfly when she was read to, and we cried harder. It was a terrible, terrible day, but in the worst possible day, several times, I was visited by animals in the strangest ways. I've always had an affinity with animals. My partner jokingly calls me Snow White because it's not uncommon for birds to land on me and animals that bite others to love me. Even seagulls let me pet them. But even this was surreal. Perhaps just a bizarre series of coincidences, but perhaps something else. But there's no doubt that it's the strangest series of coincidences I've ever known. Maybe they were all baby girl in some way. Maybe they were just animals and I was looking for something good in the world. Either way, that dog stopped me from crashing on that coast bend. The doves distracted me from scratching my arms in anxiety. The squirrels stopped my panic attack and the butterflies made the world seem a little less grey for a few moments. I think it's just amazing how, you know, we've we've spoke about this before in similar stories where the universe, for want of a better word, has a way of doing something to calm, reassure or distract in times of high emotional distress. And like we said before, I don't think it really matters whether it was just a series of coincidences or something like the universe providing a distraction or a calm. What matters is it made you feel calmer and it made you feel less distressed. Because, you know, we had that story a couple of weeks ago with the birds, the wagtails, and how, you know, they, they would rock up and one would rock up and be really cross at the door until she got fed and stuff, you know. And I think if that that brings you calm and that brings you peace, then that's what matters. Because you will always hear people say, oh, if you see a robin, it's a loved one that has passed on and people would say, oh, the same Robin comes and visits my garden and it's my dead grandmother or whatever. If that makes you happy and if that makes the death of somebody in your life easier, then that's all that matters really, isn't it? And I I, I still would like to think that animals have a sentience. I don't know if sentience is the right word because sentience just implies like thought and free will, doesn't it? I was thinking robots actually, but... (laughs) Oh, I like just would like a cognitive ability to be able to choose to you know try and make humans feel better in times of distress i mean how amazing would that be i think it's probably scientifically provable actually because i'd imagine there's a a layer of sense and pheromones that we give off when we're distressed or sad or in times of high emotion that animals potentially can sense that we can't because there's there's plenty of not quite as miraculous as as some stories that we've heard but there's plenty of examples of dogs sensing when something is wrong or knowing when your owner is upset or 
That's like you have like emotional support dogs yeah. and stuff. Like they're they're highly intelligent animals and are able to you know they they understand and they can sense when their owner is in distress. I mean, animals are amazing. I also think. Amy needs some credit as well because this is the first example I've had of a, a squirrel coming to close contact with a human and not attacking them. Because I've heard lots of examples of squirrels landing on people's heads as part of their attack mode, but not so much just as a comforter. So the fact that you've had that relationship with a squirrel was pretty cool too. I did feed a squirrel out of my hand in St. James's Park one day, but I kind of just wanted to see what it did, and I actually was just holding a rolled up leaf and the squirrel was very annoyed, <laughs> like very annoyed. And story number three comes from Jen. For some background, I come from an atheist family. My dad has told me my whole life, when you're dead, you're dead, and that's it. Which still honestly scares me more than ghosts or anything paranormal. My friends that are also involved in this story are a mixed bunch. We never really spoke about what we believed with regards to the paranormal before all these things happened. All these events took place in the house in North London, that me and three of my friends from Uni Halls moved into in our second year in 2013. We found this house in the nick of time, but we needed a fifth housemate. A friend from Uni told me she knew a girl on one of her modules that needed a house for next year. So long story short, me and my housemates met her for a couple of drinks and she seemed alright. So we went ahead and less than a month after meeting her, we had the keys to our house together. Obviously, we didn't know a lot about Zara but the best way I could describe her is slightly odd. She was fun to start with, but definitely a bit weird. She came across very innocent, and it always seemed that she was kind of shy and quiet, but tried very hard to exert herself and fit in, keep up with our crazy student antics. She'd also occasionally come out with really out-of-character stories or comments, which were weird, but we thought it was just her trying to fit in. Zara rarely spoke about her family, The first time I really got a feeling that something was off with Zara was the week after we moved into the house. Me, Zara and my housemaid Lisa had spent the day in the park soaking up the dregs of London summer and staring at the guys doing pull-ups on the monkey bars. When we went home we were tired and laid together in Lisa's bed watching X Factor auditions on YouTube until we fell asleep. I've always been a pretty deep sleeper and you know that real exhaustion you get when you've been out in the sun all day. Yeah, it was that kind of sleep. However, something disturbed me in the night. I woke because the bed was shaking. As the shaking intensified, I became more and more awake and I looked at Lisa, who was facing me, and realised that she was awake too. We looked at each other like, what the fuck is that? Lisa lifted her head and looked over me at Zara. Zara, shut up, she said, and laid back down. I turned my head to see Zara, curled up, facing away from me and laughing silently. To be clear, she wasn't looking at her phone, she was just there, eyes open stifling her laughter with her shoulders bouncing. I thought it was a little weird, because the bed had been shaking so much that you could feel the wheels moving on the hardwood floor at some points. Zara was small, and I couldn't figure out how her laughter would possibly be enough to move the bed that much. I figured that one of us had probably just farted in our sleep and she had found it funny and went back to sleep. I don't remember if we ever asked her what she was laughing at, but it was so strange. 
Me and my other housemate Amy were usually up all night and slept all day, to the extent that we had given ourselves the nickname The Nighthawks. I know, Jesus Christ. We'd often hear someone pacing the kitchen in the middle of the night. Amy's window had a view of the kitchen, and when we looked we'd see Zara, walking up and down, up and down, up and down, dragging her feet, staring at nothing, at all hours of the night. Zara's room would also randomly emit a foul smell, almost like the smell of rotting meat. Sometimes you'd walk past the room and the smell would be so strong it would stick at the back of your throat and make you gag. And then you'd walk back shortly after and there'd be no smell at all. But it was definitely coming from her room. At one point the smell was so, so bad that I had had enough. Our landlord had left the master key in a drawer in the kitchen while he went on holiday so I went downstairs to get it while Zara was out. Me and Amy unlocked the door to Zara's room. I assumed she hadn't emptied her bin or she'd left some food in her room, but there was no sign of anything. The room was pristine, and it smelled. But not from anywhere in particular, it was just kind of in the air. We checked everything, her drawers, under her bed, in her wardrobe, but there was nothing. As time went by, we all grew tired of Zara's behaviour. As I said, she would every so often do something very out of character, usually resulting in pissing everyone off. For example, one night she went to Burger King, which was in the retail park just across the road from where we lived, and she came back, not with food, but with five very rough-looking guys in tow, and she just brought them into our house and left us to kick them out, while she stood back and laughed as the situation got out of control. We got very sick of her. Some of us fell out with her. She started keeping to herself. And it was at this time that very scary things started to happen to us. In one instance, I got home one night after a long day working at the shite restaurant I worked at. And for the first time in ages, I was home alone. Full disclosure, I was shit at my job. I was always late and called in sick often. So far I'd gotten away with it because literally no one wanted to work there so they found it too hard to get staff to fire me. But I was on the edge. That day the assistant manager had really laid into me for calling in sick and then being late the next day so it was time to book up my ideas. When I got home I went straight to bed and when I got in I often left my keys in the outside of my bedroom door so I'd know where they were the next morning. I woke up in the early afternoon and started to get ready for my shift at 4pm. I grabbed my clothes and headed to the bathroom for a shower. Only when I got to my bedroom door, it wouldn't open. Our house was old, but all the doors and locks were newly fitted when we moved in, and I knew right then that it had been locked from the outside. I started to panic. What if I lost my fucking job? I roared and pulled hard on the door but it wouldn't move. I tried to look through the lock and I could see the key on the other side. I called out, but I knew no one was home and obviously there was no answer. I called my manager, who was furious, but I couldn't do anything and it was hard to explain just how this had happened. I didn't immediately get freaked out by the fact that I knew that no one was in the house with me. I was just so focused on getting out of that room. I called everyone in the house and all were too far away to come to my immediate rescue. I sat on my bed and cried in frustration. The one day I was actually awake on time to go to work and this shit happens. I sat there, dying to go for a wee, starving hungry, waiting for hours. 
Finally, I knew Zara was my final option. I didn't really want to call her, but I did. Hello, I said, and there was no answer. I said hello again, and then a very quiet, deep voice spoke. Do you want to get out now? I was silent for a moment, a little frozen, trying to convince myself that I'd misheard that, but trying to listen if anything else was said. Then Zara's voice came, clear as day, full volume. Hello? I told Zara the situation, and she explained that she was staying with a friend in Luton, and she wouldn't be back until the next day. Okay, never mind, it's just... You know, I'd like to get out of my fucking room and I don't know how I'm locked in here. I was snappy, I was stressed and now a little freaked out. She apologised, but she almost sounded amused. So I hung up. I sat for a moment. The whole house was silent until I heard clear as day footsteps. Slow footsteps. The dragging of feet approaching my door. I hadn't heard the loud front door opening or closing and when we spoke on the phone I didn't hear her voice in the house. So how could she be here? I was slightly freaked out but I just thought it was Zara playing some sort of twisted joke on me. So as the footsteps reached my door I stood up furious, screaming at her for locking me in my room. I can't remember what I said but there was lots of swearing for sure. Then again I heard the same voice. Do you want to get out now? Not Zara's voice. But coming from right outside my door. I stood frozen for a moment with my hand on the door handle as I felt the key turn in the door very slowly. I even heard the jingle of the key. I braced myself for whatever or whoever was on the other side of the door. As soon as the lock clicked, I threw open the door with such force that it hit the wall and made a dent. But there was no one there. No one could have ran down the long corridor that my room was at the end of fast enough that I wouldn't have seen them. There's no way. But I still wanted to check. I ran frantically throughout the house, going in every room I could, even opening the wardrobes, banging on every locked door, but there was no one in the house. I checked again. I checked under all the beds and in the downstairs shower room. There was no one. Not a sound. I had a moment of realisation at what had just happened and my stomach dropped. I bolted back up to my room, making sure to lock the door from the inside and waited, shivering on my bed, desperate for someone to come home. I told all my housemates when they arrived home, and they didn't believe it of course, and one of my housemates said it was probably a dream. The only one who seemed like she kind of believed it was Lisa. I was furious, but I knew that I'd react the same way if one of them had told me this story. Zara came home the next day. I watched her walk into the house as I sat in the kitchen. She vaguely smiled at me and shuffled her way up the stairs. After about a year, Zara left. The day she moved out, we made ourselves scarce to save ourselves from having to pretend to be sad she was leaving. Amy and I stayed in her room all day, watching films and eating junk food, as most students do most of the time. We waited until we heard her leave, and post her keys to the letterbox. I should also say that of everyone in the house, me and Amy had the most run-ins with Zara, 
and by the time she left, she hated both of us for sure. Later that night, after a bottle of wine and a pizza, we fell asleep together with the TV still on. Amy's TV was on a timer. After three hours of being on, it would go off if you didn't push any buttons. I was half asleep when the TV clicked off. The TV hadn't been particularly loud, but when it went off, I suddenly noticed that I could hear a banging. The banging had been going on for a while. I just hadn't noticed it, if that makes sense. It was coming from the front door. It continued, and I listened, until the bangs started becoming louder and more aggressive and frequent, and I realised that it was coming from the front door. I woke Amy up and said, Can you hear that? She sat straight up in bed. The banging got louder and louder and we were terrified. Everyone was home. Who would be banging on our door in the middle of the night like this? The banging continued to increase and now we could hear a whimpering noise, like a dog along with it. For a moment I thought it could have been a stray dog outside, but there was no way any dog would pull the door that hard. Then I thought maybe it was a burglar pretending to be a dog so we'd open the door. Next to Amy's room was a window in the hallway that was directly above the front door. The door was set back in a little alcove, open porch kind of thing, so you couldn't quite see the door from the window, but if you really leaned out, you could almost see it. We leaned out. We couldn't see anyone, but the banging and the whimpers continued, and one extremely loud bang came, like someone was trying to break the door to get in. Terrified, we ran from the window and to the top of the stairs, which was adjacent to the front door. There was a small pane of glass at the top of the door, but it was very dark, and we couldn't see anything through it from the top of the stairs. We were so scared we started calling out our housemates' names. No one answered. No one came out of their rooms. I ran to Lisa's room and the door was locked. I banged on the door. No response. Meanwhile, Amy did the same at our other housemate Verity's room. Again, the door wouldn't open and there was no response. We didn't dare go downstairs because we'd have to walk past the front door. We just watched it rattle and bounce as it was violently banged. I was so, so scared, I remember screaming at the top of my lungs, Go away, please go away. And shortly after, it stopped. Shaken, we returned to Amy's room, locked the door and tried to sleep. The next day, we asked the girls if they had heard anything last night. Both said no. We asked them if they had locked their doors. Both said no. It wasn't possible that they would have slept through that amount of noise. There was no explanation, but it scares me to this day to think about it. Me and Amy talk about it from time to time, but we still don't know what to make of it, and it's something I think we'd both rather forget. Maybe it was a final farewell from Zara, or something else. I never ever saw Zara again after that. I never bumped into her at uni and never heard from her again. There were many more things that happened in that house, both while Zara lived there and shortly after, but I won't go through everything, because it would make the story far too long. I don't know if it was the house, or Zara, but me and my housemates truly believed something in that house was working against us. Visitors to our house often felt uncomfortable, and more than once, concerns were raised about our weird housemate. My boyfriend at the time was absolutely convinced that she was possessed, to the point that he really didn't want to stay over so I'd always go to his place, and I was more than happy to get out of there a couple of nights a week. I don't know about that, 
But from the moment we moved in, things went downhill for all of us. And though we loved living together, no one wanted to be in that house. And one by one, everyone moved out. I always get weirdly emotionally attached to buildings. I've lived in many houses, in many places, and no matter the length of time I lived there, I always cry when I'm leaving, like I'm saying goodbye to a chapter in my life. I lived in this house for a few years, but when I left, I felt a sense of relief. A few times I've walked back there and stood outside, and I still feel uneasy. Maybe it's the memories. Or maybe there was something in that house. I cannot handle another story where it's kind of technology based with the phone call and oh there's... the phone call i was like the key in the door that's not really the height of technology is it <laughs> hey, I was, honestly that was where my brain went and i was like did you mean technology <laughs> i did mean technology you know back in my day we didn't have locks on doors because only doors had only just been invented um <laughs> yeah no i meant the phone call where jen clearly spoke to someone yeah, but who that someone is it's, or was is the scary bit. Because I feel like if, you know, if the housemate was there and, you know, there was almost, there's always that doubt, isn't there? But there was nobody in the house. The conversation was separate. So there's two clear voices and then something unlocked that door. With the same voice that said the yeah. same sentence. Because I actually, I, I'm going to be quite, I'm going to go against the grain here. And I don't think this is to do with Zara. I think that you probably had a housemate who just didn't really fit in and was probably a bit odd and made odd choices that annoyed people. But whatever locked you in your room, I don't think it's anything to do with her because that's 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 so weird. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I think if you're talking about a mischievous slash evil spirit, it's going to take advantage of any rifts or you know differences that already exist in a household, isn't it? Well, that's what, I mean, that is what always happens to horror movie dads. Like, the, like that is a horror movie dad trope that whatever is going on, they get they get slightly more angry and aggressive because whatever is in that house is taking advantage of it. I, you are so right. All of our last, you know, four years of in, obsessively watching horror movies is paying off because we're solving things. And it, it would also give sort of more credence to whatever happened after Zara moved out as well in that the knocking and the, and the stuff that went on at the end of the corridor and that that is potentially the vibes in that house and how the, the way that they feel about it as well because Jen's quite clear that she gets quite attached to the places she lives in and um this one she doesn't she dislikes it and everybody yeah. dislikes it and that, that to me says it's something to do with the house not not the person that's yeah that's an interesting point actually because I'm just saying this if I was a mischievous slash evil spirit which you are. This is the big reveal of the podcast. Dan is actually a ghost. <laughs> and I knew that there was some kind of, not necessarily falling out or dislike, but, you know, there's, there is, there's a clear divide, isn't there, between the four original people and the fifth person, which often happens in house shows, particularly at uni, where you have to fill a space you often put with people that you wouldn't necessarily normally live with. I would definitely take advantage of that, 100%. Oh, you evil genius. I didn't think you had it in you to be that mischievous. <laughs> and if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on com. You can send your own spooky story to Podcast at gmail.com, but you need to be aware there's a considerable wait and we are working on ways to try and get through that backlog. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so for $5 a month or $2 a month at patreon.com forward slash Stories. And on that note... 
We shall see you next week. Bye.